Our first reading is from Revelation chapter 21. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down of heaven, out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels. And on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations. And on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. O Lord, have mercy on us. Second reading comes from Luke chapter 22. When the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. A dispute arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? It is, not the one, is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you to both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me, deny three times that you know me. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. He was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. O Lord, have mercy on us. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I didn't mean to do that. That's a phrase that can mean different things, depending on how you say it. It could simply mean that the choices that you have made caused something to happen, and obviously you didn't intend on that thing happening. But there's also a little bit of wiggle room, again, depending on how you say that. It could be, obviously, that something bad has happened. You didn't intend for the bad thing to happen, but perhaps you realize that you could have stopped it from happening, or maybe even worse, 
You should have known better than allow it to happen. In Luke chapter 22, the disciples, Jesus hand-picked inter, inner circle, there, are with him in the upper room. And honestly, this section of Luke 22 is painful. It is painful to watch as it plays out, and it is even frightening in a way. Because of all the evil that is at work in, at Lee, in league of coming against Jesus and, and pushing him towards his death, we heard about a lot of those last week, now here we have the disciples participating in evil. They are neck deep in foolishness, and they are being the worst kind of fools. They are being arrogant fools. They should have known better. Verses 24 through 27 of our gospel reading. A dispute arose among them as to which one of them is to be regarded as the greatest. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles, unbelievers, exercise lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest. Let the leader be the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who reclines at table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? Jesus says, I am among you, though. I am among you as one who serves. So in this section, the disciples could only really be described as, as stupid. Or if you prefer a, a more holy-sounding biblical word, folly, foolishness. Remember the context here. They're in the upper room. They're there with Jesus. The Lord has just instituted his holy supper. He just foretold how one of them was going to betray him. And now, after all of that, what do they do? They fight over which one of them is the greatest. So clearly, Luke wants us to see the folly, the stupidity here. And he wants us to see the great evil in it. And make no mistake, this is evil. Did they mean to do it? Did they mean it for evil? Well, in a certain sense, no. But in the other sense, yes, they should have known better than to participate in this argument over who was the greatest. They should have known better. They're arguing about the one who, one of them who is the greatest while they're sitting there in the presence of Jesus, the very one who is the actual greatest. And Jesus, throughout the three years that he's been with them, has been teaching them what it looks like, what it means to be great. And he showed them what greatness truly is. And now, yet again, he has to teach them again. He tells them that they're acting like pagans, unbelievers. They're acting like Gentiles. They're acting like the world out there, but not so with you. How the Gentiles act, that is the evil greatness, power and might and all of these things. Not so with you, he says. For in the kingdom of God, status and importance and power, all of these things are, are turned upside down in the kingdom of God. Or, if you're focused on the kingdom of God, you could say they're turned right side up. Not so with you. After all, the greatest and the, the second person of the Holy Trinity is right there with them, reclining at table with them. And he tells them that he will take the place of the servant, the one who serves. And that is what greatness looks like. So do they mean for their hearts to get caught up in this 
foolish, evil? Yes, because they should have known better. In the upper room, the, this train wreck of evil continues to unfold. In uh, verses 28 through 38, the rest of our, our, our reading, Jesus first comforts and then he warns. He first comforts Simon Peter and all of them, and then he comforts all, and then he warns them all. But they reject his warning. And they shrug off the Lord's words. And that can only be called arrogance, pride, cockiness, boastfulness, the opposite of greatness. Jesus begins with comfort, though. He makes a remarkable promise about his apostles in the future. He, said, he promises that they are going to share in his kingdom, in his reign, on the last day when, when the holy apostles will in some mysterious way participate in the judgment, in the final judgment. Without taking anything away from Jesus as the judge of the living and the dead, the twelve apostles are going to sit on twelve thrones and they too will judge the twelve tribes of Israel. That's what Jesus says. And we see that in the first reading, Revelation 21 as well. On the last day when the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven and to the new earth, John sees this city having 12 foundations, right, to, to match the 12 gates. And on those stones are written the names of the 12 apostles. So Jesus makes this promise to them. He makes it so that, that they would be strengthened and comforted and, and emboldened for what is now to come the evil that is coming. Because after the promise that he makes to them, he then warns them. He warns them about what's coming. To Simon Peter, Jesus speaks directly, very directly. Satan is active. Satan is present. Satan is here. Satan is powerful. And he desires you, Peter. He says that to Peter, but he says it about all of the apostles, Simon, Simon, Satan has desire, desired to sift you, that's plural, you, like you all, decided to sift you all. He will sift you like wheat. And it's going to be the hardest thing that the apostles have ever known. But Jesus' prayer for Simon and for the rest of the, the apostles, specifically for Simon, though, that will mean that after that troubling time, after that time, he will turn again in faith, to Jesus. He will turn again, and the prayer is that he then strengthens his fellow brothers in the ministry. Jesus warns, but Peter rejects the warning. I'm ready, he says. I'm ready to go to prison. I'm ready to even die with you, Jesus. Jesus just told him that he's going to be hunted down. He is going to be sifted like wheat, and Peter says, no, never. That will not happen. And he says that directly to Jesus' face. Did Peter mean to do evil? Yes. He should have known better. He should have listened to Jesus. But he didn't. Peter keeps on not listening to Jesus when Jesus tells him, you are going to deny me three times today before the rooster crows. Peter's not listening. And his pride continues to refuse to listen. But later that night, the rooster crows. Then he'll remember. And all that pride and that arrogance will be gone. 
It will melt away, and he will weep bitterly. But here in the upper room, the stupidity and the arrogance don't stop. Because Jesus next turns to the other disciples and asks them to remember. Remember how I sent you, he says. Remember how I sent you out to minister and to do miracles in my name. This was back in Luke chapter 9, by the way. And how all of your needs were taken care of as you went out and proclaimed in my name. They remember. That's right, Jesus. That's right. We, we lacked nothing, they said. But now it will be different. This time, Jesus says, evil is coming. Evil is present. The one perfect man, the one truly innocent man, is going to be uh, counted among the transgressors. This is different this time. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me, that he was numbered with the transgressors. That's Isaiah 53, verse 12. For that was written about me, and it has its fulfillment. It has to come true. It will come true. So Jesus says, be ready. Be ready. Prepare yourselves. You're going to need a sword. Of course, Jesus isn't telling them to physically arm themselves with a weapon, with a sword. Okay? Not a military sword, but figuratively he's speaking. They needed to arm themselves with the sword of God's word. By the way, all four Gospels record Simon Peter drawing his sword and hacking off Malchus's uh, ear. But Luke, interestingly, Luke is the one that records this. He's the only one that records this, he, where Jesus says, no, no more of this. As he touched the ear and he, he heals that ear, puts it back together. So Jesus obviously is not talking about literal weapons of war. He's talking, uh, but that's, that's how the disciples take it, though. They take it as that they need a sword, because, again, they're not, they're not listening. Jesus warns them, and he's, they say, well, well, look, Jesus, we'll, we're ready. We'll be ready. We've already got two swords. And I just, I wonder, the tone, then, of Jesus' voice and what it must have been at that point, and I'm guessing it's, it doesn't say specifically, but I'm guessing it's, it's a sad, kind of weary voice. It is enough. Enough. Enough with your arrogance. Enough with your boasting. Enough with your folly. I'm trying to tell you, but you are not listening. Evil is coming. They should have known better. And there's Jesus in the midst of their evil, numbered with those transgressors that night. Yet God will not let this time in the upper room go to waste. It's not just a time of foolishness, misunderstanding, and arrogance. As we watch the train wreck unfold before our eyes as evil continues to mount against Jesus, we also see in that God's plan unfolding as well. And we see how God is using evil once again to move his plan forward. The disciples didn't mean to do that, that, they should have known better, but God still knew even more. He knew still better. And he meant it all for good. Think of it this way. The disciples that night, their stupidity is like a big, bright neon sign, an arrow, an arrow that is pointing away from them, their own stupidity, 
their own pride, their own arrogance, away from them and to Jesus, the only one in that room, the wisest, the greatest, the servant of all. He's numbered with them, but in the upper room, there's only one. There's only one who serves. So yes, the disciples' foolishness and their arrogance are pieces of this puzzle, God's puzzle. They're not the center of the puzzle, thanks be to God. But their evil is part of it. It fits into the plan. And God, you can see that pattern now taking shape. And Jesus is moving forward in this evil as it, as it is going to be fulfilled, that he is going to be numbered amongst the transgressors. This word is going to be fulfilled in him. It must be fulfilled in him. And when Isaiah is fulfilled, it will be like, here's another analogy or another illustration. It'll be like a rock that you drop into a pool of water. And as you drop that into a pool of water, you can see the ripples, right? And the ripples get bigger and bigger and bigger and go out farther and farther and farther. So when, when we say he's numbered amongst the transgressors, we can see, yes, he will be numbered amongst the transgressors. There'll be one on his right and one on his left as he is crucified in the middle. He was numbered among the transgressors. Yes, for sinners are going to be mocking him, goading him to save himself. Pull down, put yourself down off the cross. Save yourself. Be great. Be the greatest. But Jesus has not come to save himself. He has not come to be the greatest in that worldly fashion. He has come to be the greatest of all according to God's design. And he's numbered as those ripples continue. He's numbered among the transgressors. And you can see that the, the circle reaches back to the night before with these foolish apostles into the upper room with the arrogant fools, Simon, Peter, and all of those apostles. He's numbered with the transgressors. You can see it go out farther and farther and farther as the circle widens, reaches all the way into the future, all the way to tonight and into this very room where he is here numbered amongst the transgressors. Dear saints, Jesus overcomes all the evil of our lives, all the evil in my life, all the evil of your life, and he overcomes it by coming into the midst of it and dying. He lets evil win. He lets evil do its worst so that it cannot do anything anymore. It has done its worst. And Jesus has overcome it. The Son of God has, has put his, his soul in the hands of the Father for a brief time when he dies. And when the Father honors the Son and he raises him up from the dead, and Jesus now has overcome evil. Evil has done all the damage that it could, and it took it out all on Jesus. And he still won. And risen from the dead, Jesus has all the authority of heaven and on earth, and he has it here tonight to forgive, to come in our midst and to forgive all of your evil, all of my evil. And he continues to keep us in his care all the way into the future till that day of glory. So in the midst of a train wreck, it can be hard to see what's, what's coming. It can be hard to see what's coming at you. But sometimes God lets us see it. Sometimes God lets us see our own folly stupidity, whatever you want to call it. He lets us see that times where we are comparing ourselves with other people, puffing ourselves up and thinking that we're better, that we're great. 
Sometimes he lets us see our own arrogance and our own pride. And when the truth is that we couldn't even, when we leave here tonight and we cross the street, we, won't, we can't even cross the street if it weren't for God's grace and mercy and love for us and his provision. Sometimes God lets us see the evil that we are guilty of participating in. And that's a good thing that he lets us see this evil. And we should thank and praise him when he shows that to us, that we may repent and be forgiven of it. So tonight I ask you, I invite you to ask God for that same kind of honesty, that same kind of humility. Ask for his mercy, his forgiveness. Recognize our own stupidity, our own folly. Turn away from your selfish pride and turn only to Christ and receive forgiveness for all of your sins and give glory to God alone. But there are also times where we just dive headfirst straight into all that evil, don't we? I didn't mean to do that, but I did it anyway. I did it anyway. We like to imagine in our own greatness, and we, we hap happily and harshly will judge other people. We like to bury our heads in the sand as if we are uh, believing the lie that we are the masters of our own universe, that we are the Lord of our own life. I didn't mean to do that, but I did it anyway. And when that happens, receive God's forgiveness in Christ and know that you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And I pray that God will take that event, whatever that is, all of your folly, all of your pride, whatever it might be, and turn that and use it for good. By turning that, that evil into a big, bright sign that points you away from yourself, and to Christ alone, where there is forgiveness and there is mercy. There's always forgiveness, life, and salvation for, in, in exchange for all of your evil thoughts, all of your evil words, and all of your evil deeds. He was numbered with the transgressors. He is here now among us for our good. In Jesus, God meant it all for good. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.